food. I am actually a little bit of a foodie, not to the level that some people are, but as a foodie, other foodies will come up to me because they know, especially I like new places to eat in different towns. I like trying new establishments. And they'll go, oh, Tim, you've got to go to this place. They make the perfect pizza. Or you've got to go to this place. They make the perfect Cubano. You've got to try it. And I've realized there are very few perfect things in the world. I usually go to these restaurants. I go, it's good. It's not perfect, okay? It's hard to hit perfection. But today, we're actually going to look in Luke chapter 11 at a perfect prayer. In Luke chapter 11, some of Jesus' followers, his disciples as they call them in Scripture, come up to him and say, Lord, how do we pray? Great question. And this is his response to them. Let's read out of Luke chapter 11, verses 2 through 10. He said to them, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, hallowed be your name. And usually it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him, and hospitality was a huge deal back then. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door's already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And this would have been unheard of in their culture, not to offer some help to your neighbor. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, like he should have, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give you as much as you need. Okay? So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to one who knocks, the door will be opened. Alright? This is great. You know, it was a common practice back in this time for disciples to ask rabbis to compose prayers for them. Because what better way to learn to pray than to recite a prayer that was given to you by someone who's an absolute pro at it. So that's what Jesus was doing here. He was giving them this perfect prayer that they could recite. No wonder the early followers of Jesus were in the habit of praying this prayer, which is famously called the Lord's Prayer, three times a day. And some believers on the planet right now still do that. They pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Well, I'm going to go over the highlights of the Lord's Prayer, and this is the shortened version in Luke. There's a longer version that you can find in the book of Matthew. But when before I do that, I want us to look at verses 5 through 10. Because when you read those verses on your own, it's easy to assume this. Well, if I just pester God with my relentlessness and my audacity, sometime, finally, he'll just give in and get me, give me everything I'm asking for. That's what we think about when we read those verses. And yeah, that's just not how prayer works, okay? Prayer is certainly about consistency, though, and persistence, and that's why I love these verses. We've got to learn the difference between praying for something, and that's what we say all the time, I'll pray for that. We've got to learn the difference between praying for something and praying through something. If you pray for something, what you usually do is you just pray for it, and then you check it off of like a little mental to-do list, and you think, well, I'm done. And that's not what we need to do. We've got to pray with persistence. We've got to pray through something. We've got to pray until something happens, until something changes. Don't just start well in your prayers. That's great. Finish well. Remember a couple of years ago when the Duck football team was playing Arizona, and it was the year we went to the national championship, 
and we were getting killed. I believe it was Arizona State, but I can't remember for sure. We were getting killed, and then we had another turnover, and the defensive back for the University of Arizona or Arizona State was running it back, and he was going to score, but right before he got to the goal line, he started a celebration early, remember? And he dropped the ball before the goal line, and we picked it up and ran it back, and they fell apart after that. And that's what it's like with prayer. Don't drop the ball with your prayers before you finish, before you hit the goal line, before something good happens, before a change happens, all right? Prayer is not just about our persistence, though. I believe it's actually more about God. I think God nudges us to pray persistently for several reasons. First of all, so we don't lose hope. When God nudges us to pray all the time, it's so we don't lose sight of him as we go through difficulties. You see, prayer can bring about the miraculous. I've seen it. Sometimes when you pray, people are miraculously cured. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes when you pray, circumstances miraculously change. And there's other times when you pray, when the cures don't happen. People stay sick. They might even die. And the circumstances stay the same. There's no changes. The same crap just keeps hitting the same multiple fans, all right? But does this mean that we're not doing the whole prayer thing right? Does this mean because nothing's changing that we're not praying with enough fervor and spit and faith? Is that what's going on? I mean, what gives? i got to tell you, the beauty of prayer is not that we pray and we always get the answer we're looking for. That's not the beauty of prayer. This is the beauty of prayer, and hear me really well here. The beauty of prayer is every time we pray, we might not get the answers we're looking for, but we will get Him. Always. We will get to see Him intertwined and present in the things that we are praying for. I remember a pastor, before she was a pastor, she was actually a chaplain at a hospital, which is a really difficult position. And one particular day, Two boys were brought into the hospital, and they called her to, to play with them and to occupy them until the family got there, because what happened is their mother's car broke down on the highway with them in it, and she stepped out to see what was wrong, like flat tire or something, and was struck by a car not paying attention and killed. And the kids were stuck there screaming until the police got there, and they were obviously traumatized, and so they called her to make things better. No problem, right? And she prays for them. Can you imagine... And her prayers didn't change their circumstances. They were still motherless. Her prayers didn't bring that mother miraculously back to life. But she said when, when the whole situation took place, I wrote it down. She said this, I felt his, God's presence, in the room where two motherless boys played on the floor. That's what happened. She didn't get the miracles, but she got his presence. And in that moment, hope returned to her life. And that's what will happen to us. We might not get the answers we're looking for, but we'll get him. And when we're aware of his presence, that's when hope rushes back in the door of our life. We also keep praying because of this word, connection. I truly believe that God prays us, prods us to pray consistently and persistently because of this, to stay connected. Not only to him, but to the people we're praying for. Because when you consistently and persistently pray for someone, you don't forget about them. Instead, you remember them and you're remembered to them. I told you about my friend in New Guinea. He was doing some mission work 
and he was not good. He's not super athletic and coordinated, and he was macheting his way through the jungle to get to a little village, and he, he slipped with his machete, and he hacked his calf almost all the way off. Seriously, like it was just hanging by the bottom part and flopping around, and he didn't have anything to stitch it with, so he just put super glue on the outside of the wound and slapped it back on there. You can see the scar. It's really rocking. It's like a horseshoe shape, okay? And it, he, that kept him from dying, from bleeding to death, and he got to the village and got some actual medical attention. But I thought of him when I was thinking about prayer. I thought, you know, prayer is this really powerful relational bonding agent. When you pray, you're connected to that person you're praying for in a very significant way when the troubles either in your life or their life are trying or threatening to isolate you and separate you, prayer brings you back together and holds you like this spiritual super glue. So when you pray, pray persistently. Keep praying. Pray till you're done. All right? Now I want to move on. I want to look at the highlights of the Lord's Prayer, this perfect prayer Jesus gives us, one phrase at a time, and I'll start with this. Our Father. That's how he starts it. Pray like this, our Father. So right off the bat, notice something. Jesus says, our. He doesn't say my Father, could have. He says, our Father. And he's showing us something, that following God, which includes prayer, is deeply personal, but it is never individual, okay? We are in this together. And then he goes on to use the word Father, and that's a problem, especially in our culture. Because when many people hear the word Father, it's hard for them because they carry around a deep father wound. I can't even count how many people I've talked to that have a father wound. When they hear the word father, they think of abuse, abandonment, neglect, betrayal, pain, things like that. I remember visiting one sweet lady in our church, and I walked up to her place of residence. She was in, you know, dealing with some health problems at the time, so she couldn't get around. So I visited her, wanted to pray for her at her house. And I'm walking up, and I noticed this large burnt swath on her lawn. I'm thinking, oh, that's weird. She must have, you know, like lit a barbecue and it spilled over something. But I go in and I go, hey, what's the burnt spot on your lawn for? Because her lawn was gorgeous. And she goes, oh, man, I'm just going to be honest with you, Pastor. I got so much pain in my life, and a lot of it was because of what my father did to me. My counselor said the only way I can begin to process that pain is to build a little model of my father like a dummy, and I burnt it in effigy. See, you're laughing, because see, that was my response too, because I laughed at first because it was like a crime scene out there. It was like a burnt spot in the shape of a body. When I looked at it, I go, that's, I'm sorry, but that's funny, okay? But then I was also, my heart just kind of sunk because I go, oh my gosh, she's got such a deep wound in her life. She has to go to these extents to try to process her pain, and it was heartbreaking for me. I realize, I get it, I know that the word father, or sometimes even the word mother, can be a huge roadblock in us relating to God and in us praying. But know this, God is so good, He's so truly good, He can somehow transcend the complexity and the pain that we have in our relationship with our parents. Not only that, He can also heal the failings that we have as our own selves, as our own parenting, you know, goes on. He's that good. But don't be limited by the words that we use to describe God. 
because ultimately God is so far beyond any of the words we use to describe Him. He's way beyond that. So if father and mother aren't working for you, try something else. I'll give you a few examples. Here's some of the ones I like, okay? Here's one. Cosmically large and beautiful soul friend. Don't you love that? You can start your prayer. Oh, my cosmically large and beautiful soul friend. You'll love that. Pray for your food today. Pray over your lunch and just go, instead of just going, God, thanks for the food. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, don't just do that speed prayer. Just go, cosmically large and beautiful soul friend, thank you for making these vegetables and this food and for the strength that it will give me and these people I'm eating. That's a cooler prayer, okay? Second name for God I like. The one who knows me best and loves me most. That's a cool way to refer to God. And then the last one that I use, this is a little shorter in case you want to pray really fast, divine creator. Ah, so he's divine, he's God. He's also the creator, he created me, he made me, I'm his. Woo, that's a good way to start a prayer, all right? Use one of those if father and mother doesn't work for you. But whatever works, just remember this, that the person you're praying to, that divine someone you're praying to, loves you deeply. And it's way easier to pray when you know that's true. And I think that's what Jesus was getting at by referring to God as our Father. Just remember your love by who you're praying to. Second one, who art in heaven? We pray to a spiritual heavenly being, and a couple things I'd like to mention about that. First of all, heaven is a place, I believe that, but it's also a presence. Everywhere God is, heaven is. That means that every, in every place we walk, every place we go, we can experience God's awesomeness. We can taste heaven. God's heavenliness can infiltrate every place we're at. You can discover heavenliness in an ER room or a living room, in an orphanage or in a luxury hotel. Everywhere we are, God's heavenliness is. Everywhere we step is a little slice of heaven when we're aware of the presence of the heavenly one in that place. So remember that. And secondly, to pray the words, who art in heaven, is actually humbling because it reminds us that God is above us. He is beyond us. He's more. He's not natural. He's supernatural. And knowing that will really help you in your prayer life. I don't know about you, but I do not really enjoy buying. I love having new cars. I don't enjoy buying them because of the experience of car lots. And this has been my experience every time. And if you're a used car salesman, I'm sorry. I'm going to totally make fun of you right now, okay? Because I'll go in there and I'll talk to the salesman. They're very nice to me. But then when it comes to the bartering process, because you're always trying to talk them down and get a fair deal, the salesman goes, oh, let me see what my manager says. And he goes out of the room, comes back in, then you make another offer, let me see what my manager is. And after about three or four times of this, I'm looking at the guy thinking, you're not necessary. You're not even necessary. If you left right now, it wouldn't affect me or this buying process. You can't do anything. You have no knowledge how to make this deal, and you have no authority. Get your manager in here and stop walking out of the room. You drive me crazy, okay? So, <laughs> that to say, that's why I love praying our Father who art in heaven, because I know that when I pray that, that I'm praying to a God that has knowledge and wisdom and authority and power. I'm praying to a God who is actually able to do stuff. Oh, it's such a relief. I love this quote about prayer. It says this, Prayer is you at the end of you. Oh, that's so great. To pray is to know that some things are beyond us, but they're never beyond 
God. And this knowledge, knowing that God can do stuff, will ground you in His non-anxious presence. You'll experience this divine calm. Because we're praying, Our Father who art in heaven, He can do things. Uh, the best way to pray it would be to do this. Our Father who art in heaven, phew! Okay, because it's a relief to know that we're praying to a God who has the ability to do things. Thirdly, it says, Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed just this fancy word to say holy or pure. So yeah, when we pray, we remind ourselves that God is so completely good, we should sing and dance and shout and celebrate this fact. Okay? Yet even though his name is hallowed, oftentimes we use his name in vain, don't we? Some of us every once in a while will let slip using the Lord's name in vain as a swear word. That's not the only way. Sometimes we use his name in vain when we pray in Jesus' name and we're not even thinking about Jesus. That's a way to use his name in vain. Other times we use his name in vain when we use his name in a prayer to try to manipulate either God or the people around us. Oh, forgive us, Lord, because your name is better than that. It's cause for celebration. I was looking at a calendar the other day, and did you know that every day of the year is National Day of something? Did you know that? I did not know this, okay? I knew the major holidays, but I didn't know every single day of the year is National Day of something. I looked some of them up. These are true, okay? You can remember these. Write these down. January 4th is National Spaghetti Day. Who made that, okay? January 10th, I love this one, House Plant Appreciation Day. Is that the day when you go around and go, oh, little bush, <laughs> you mean so much to me. You brighten my day. Do you say stuff to them? What do you do? Okay, I don't really know what you do. Um, February 3rd is Doggy Date Night Day. And I don't know if that means you take your dog on a date or you set your dog up with another dog to go on a date. I don't know which of those things happens on that day, but it's Doggy Date Night. And August 1st, I love this one, I love this as a kid, okay, is Spider-Man Day. I don't know if you dress like Spider-Man or if you just climb stuff, what you do. And then this was my favorite, August 15th. This is coming up. You should do this one. It's coming up. August 15th is National Chant at the Moon Day. <laughs> Try that in your neighborhood at nighttime. Yeah, I want to see some of that. There are so many ridiculous reasons to celebrate in our nation but we have one really good one. Let this sink into you. Hallowed be thy name. That is, I'm telling you, when that sinks in, that's reason to celebrate. Fourthly, thy kingdom come. When God's kingdom is mentioned in this prayer, it's not a place, it's a movement, it's a way of life. To pray thy kingdom come is to pray, God, please help me to live and act and love and talk like I'm going to live and act and love and talk for all of eternity. That's what you're praying. There is so much hell on earth. You see it all the time. So to pray, thy kingdom come, is also to pray, God, and help me to live in such a way that I help displace the hell in my life and the hell that I see around us. Lord, thy kingdom come. May your light, your presence, your goodness come and drive out the hell that we're experiencing on earth. I read a quote the other day. This, this girl was interviewing a bunch of people from all kinds of religions. She interviewed a guy that was a Christian pastor, and she said, I'm actually not interested in your religion. I'm just trying to get a good grade on this assignment because Christianity is all about believing. Oh, I wanted to reach through the, the pages of that book and go, no, 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 it's not all about believing. 
Christianity is all about living. It's about living in a way that we imitate God and that we destroy evil in the world and usher in God's beauty and goodness. I don't know if you know this. It's a fun little fact I found out. When you go to Disneyland next, you can find this out. All the second story windows in Disneyland are dedicated to somebody. They're dedicated to somebody that helped establish the magic kingdom in that place, whether that was somebody that was a builder or someone that gave music instructions. Whatever it was, it's dedicated. All the windows are. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? I believe with my whole heart when we get to heaven, all the second-story windows in heaven will have our names on it because I believe it's gonna, we're going to have windows dedicated to us because we helped establish God's kingdom here. We made that statement, thy kingdom come a reality. Oh, at least I want my window. I'm going to ask God for a window. I hope you do too. Number five, thy will be done. This is a powerful and scary prayer. When you pray, thy will be done, you're asking God to transform and change your heart. You're asking him to take your heart of rebellion and disobedience and mold it and knead it and ply it until it's something much softer, until it's a heart of obedience. That's what you're asking him to do. That way, we won't just know the right thing to do. We'll actually do it. Another way to pray that would be this. God, please light a fire under my hindquarters so that I can actually participate in what you're up to on the planet. That's what you're praying when you're saying, thy will be done. Okay? Number six, give us this day our daily bread. Oh, this is a great one too. The journey of following Jesus is long. The pathway of obedience and godliness is steep. It's difficult. If anyone says being a Jesus follower is easy, they don't know what they're talking about. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. The best, but the most difficult. And we need sustenance for the journey. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're saying, please, God, give me what I need to keep going. Give me the hope, the courage, and the strength so that I don't give up. May your spirit be the energy that keeps me walking forward. There's a phrase, you've probably heard it. People have said it to me. Oftentimes they say, well, Tim, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's crap. Sorry, that is not true. That is not even close to the truth, okay? If you say that to people, you stop it, okay? Because on almost a daily basis, God gives me more than I can handle. The truth is this. He'll give me more than I can handle, but he'll never give me more than he and I and my faith community can handle together. That's the truth, okay? That is the absolute truth. He gives me my daily bread. He gives me my sustenance. Sometimes my sustenance, my daily bread, is the awareness of his presence with me. Sometimes my sustenance is courage or strength or perseverance or faith that he injects into my life. Sometimes my daily bread is you. It's you coming alongside of me and helping me. But no matter what it is, he gives you what you need for the journey. Number seven, there's just two more. Forgive as we forgive. Ooh, this is a biggie, okay? Is there so much we need forgiveness about or what? We need forgiveness when we hate what God loves, don't we? Sometimes that's people, sometimes it's ourselves. We need forgiveness when we stop caring and crawl into our own little cocoon of selfishness and self-centeredness. We need forgiveness when we draw lines in the sand that 
exclude us from other people instead of drawing circles around us, giant circles that include people with us. And the list goes on and on and on. We're going to actually end today by playing a song later after I pray, and it's the song Graceland by Paul Simon. And I know I'm dating myself because it was popular way back when in the dark ages before cell phones and stuff. But in this song, Graceland, there's, there's a woman talked about in the song, and it says she's so promiscuous, she's referred to as the human trampoline. That's not good, okay? But then it goes on to say that she's just bouncing into Graceland. Oh my gosh, I love that line, because I could say to that, aren't we all? Aren't we all candidates that need God's mercy? Aren't we all just bouncing in to amazing Graceland? But here's something cool. Notice there's, a, there's an order here. When we are forgiven, when we bounce our way into Graceland, then we can forgive. Receiving our own forgiveness makes it possible to forgive other people. Not easy. Forgiving is agonizingly difficult. Incredibly difficult to do. But it's possible after we're forgiven. And know this. This will help you to forgive too. Forgiveness is not about reconciliation. You can pray and forgive someone and still have very firm boundaries. Maybe they're toxic to you and they're destructive in you and you can forgive them, but you have to love them and relate to them from a safe distance. That's okay. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to be close fishing buddies with them. I've forgiven some people that I hardly talk to anymore because I can't, okay? Secondly, forgiveness is not forgetting. You need a lobotomy or drugs to do that, okay? You can't forget some of the pain that people have caused you. Forgiveness has nothing to do with forgetting. It's actually a profound form of remembering. You remember the pain that they caused you, but you also remember that with God's help, you refuse to hurt them back. That the cycle of pain and revenge has stopped with you. We are refusing. When we forgive, we are refusing to let bitterness fester like a giant pus pocket inside of us. That's forgiveness. And once you get forgiveness, somehow that gives you the strength and the gumption to forgive others. First you get it, then you can give it. Okay? And lastly, lead us not into temptation. You know, it's interesting Jesus even put that in the prayer because God really never leads us into temptation. He doesn't have to. We can find it all by ourselves, can't we? It's interesting that's in there. I have a little dog named Darling, and, and it's Darling. It's a little Bichon poodle that wears diapers because of a birth defect. But when we let Darling outside, we have a fairly large backyard. She will find the most disgusting, putrid, smelly item in the yard and roll on it to perfume herself. Evidently, dogs think that's a good smell. Whether it's a dead animal, the cat drug by, or anything. She'll do rotten fruit, you name it, she'll roll in it. I didn't have to teach her that. I didn't have to take her out in the backyard and go, here, darling, look, a dead mouse. Why don't you roll around on that and lick it a couple times and come back inside, okay? And it's the same with us. With temptation, we don't enter into temptation. God doesn't lead us there and go, hey, look at this. This is going to be awful. It's going to be so destructive in your life. This is going to destroy your life, make you wish you were never born. Why don't you roll around in that for a little while and come back, okay? He doesn't do that. He doesn't have to because we find that ourselves, don't we? But what we need to pray is, God, please make the escape route out of temptation clearly marked. Again, like when you're in Disneyland, if the ride's too scary for you, 
they always have the chicken door right before you get on, and you can just get out of there. And it's really clearly marked, okay, exit, because you're scared, right? No, I can't do it. I'm out of here. That's what we need for temptation. God, mark it clearly. Provide a way out of this temptation so I can get out of there. And steer me away. Rescue me from my addictions and from my prejudices and my pride and self-reliance and impatience and any other sin that draws me to it like a magnet. Get me out of that stuff. That way I can be free to live out your dreams for me. Maybe a way to say this is, God, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil because you've got better plans for us. Oh, that's a great way to pray for that. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer out loud. But before you do, I want you to read this quote by a rabbi that I read recently. This is genius. When you wake in the morning, learn something to inspire you, and then meditate on it. And then plunge forward full of light with which to illuminate the darkness. That is brilliant, okay? And what I'm going to ask you to do, if you don't know of anything that you can read and reflect and meditate on, read the Lord's Prayer out of the book of Matthew or Luke and just meditate it on it all day because it will inspire you to go out into the world and illuminate the darkness because it's the perfect prayer. So let's pray the Lord's Prayer and then I'll say amen at the end and then we're going to play Graceland by Paul Simon. Yeah, everybody over 40 said, okay? Oh my, that's pretty small font. You want me to just read it for you? Okay, you can see it. You, some of you know it by heart. You can pray this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.